to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Friday, July 19th. As we've mentioned all week long, a little bit of a lull in the professional tennis world in terms of the ATP and WTA tours. Obviously, with Wimbledon just in the rearview mirror, a lot of those players taking a well-deserved break after what was an incredible fortnight uh, across the sea. But, as we all know, the tennis world never sleeps. Earlier this week, we had Orange Breakers GM Alan Hardison on to talk a little bit of World Team Tennis, the World Team Tennis 2019 season going on right now. So much fun to watch these professional players play in that team environment, something we don't get to see often enough in the tennis world. Sticking with that theme, I am so happy to bring on today's guest. He was a UNLV All-American and the 1997 NCAA doubles champion, head of the No Quit Tennis Academy, the USTA Nevada president of the board. Obviously, uh, his tennis credentials, with that being said, they speak for themselves. But he is currently the head coach of the first-year WT team, uh, TT team, the Vegas Rollers. Coach Tim Blinkiron, uh, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, that is quite the list of accomplishments. And what's clear to me is that, much like uh, myself, you fell in love with the game and you stuck with it throughout. Yeah, absolutely. I've been playing since I was uh, about three years old. Um, so I'm looking at nearly 40 years on a tennis court right now. It's definitely been one of my greatest love affairs. I, I can't imagine 40 years. You know, I did a little bit of research. 40 years with a one-handed backhand and you didn't get sick of the sport? Yeah, well, the, the, here's a caveat. I uh, I didn't have 40 years with a one-handed backhand. I actually switched when I was 17. Ah. So I, I broke my arm uh, my first week of college. And makes, the, makes sense. But I agree with you. The irony of it is the only reason I stuck with it because I thought it looked cool, even though I didn't know what I looked like at all. So. <laughs> no, I mean, look, you go to Vegas to play tennis, it's going to look cool, I promise you. Well, you know, the irony is being six foot six, uh, it actually turned out pretty good because, you know, having a, having a slice back in the extra reach actually uh, proved effective in the end. And, of course, you are the first player in Nevada history to get all-conference honors three times in doubles with three separate partners. So, yeah, I, I would argue you had a little bit of success. And I do want to talk about your pro career and just your background in tennis because, as you can tell, listeners, it's a very fascinating background. But getting into this year, I know you are, as I mentioned, head coach of the Vegas Rollers in their first season in the WTT. Your first four matches in the book, you know, unfortunately for your team, a one-in-three start. But I'll say off the get-go, no Sam Query no Brian brothers. That being said, how have you thought this uh, opening week's gone for you guys? You know what? Um, as, yeah, as it looks like a little up and down. I mean, it was always uh, going to be tough because we're on the road. And we ended up doing uh, four cities in, in four nights. Um, one of the days, uh, I think we woke up in Washington, played in New York, and went to bed in Philadelphia. So <laughs> look at, looking at the schedule, it was always going to be you know a rough part of the schedule. Um, I think out of the four matches our, our players played, and, and bear in mind, we've got a young team too. Um, you know, being a first-year team, we didn't have the seasoned veterans that we we could keep from, from years past. So taking all that into account, and even myself, I'm, I'm a, you know, it's my first year as, as a coach. Uh, I've, I've got a lot to learn, I'm sure, and I'm, I'm paying attention to the details and how, how coaches are doing their lineups. And, um, it's been an absolute blast. But um, and it, and it's been it's been tough just because it's, it's been so much traveling involved and you know we, we came out of the gates really strong we lost by actually only one point in Orlando 
Um, it came down to the very last point, and uh, Feliciano Lopez was serving against Evan Song, and whoever won point one match. And this is after us being down by a long way. So that was very exciting. Then we went to Washington the next night and played great, beat a very, very strong Washington team. But by the time we'd, we'd hit uh, New York, we, we were a little flat, so we had to <laughs> sit down and have a talk. And, um, you know, they actually played well yesterday against Philadelphia. Philadelphia had a very, very strong team. That's Billy Jean's, uh, you know, personal team. So um, all in all, I'm, I'm happy with the start. I think we get stronger uh, as we go. Um, we've got some of our marquee players coming in, like Sam Query and the Brian Brothers, Monica Tweak, um, in the middle of the season. And just being back on the West Coast, I think, uh, without all the travel, is, is beneficial to us as well. And I do want to talk about those results as well. You mentioned it. Uh, this is the place I have to start. Just so you know, and our listeners, I'm sure, are sick of hearing this, but I played club tennis in college, and that uses the World Team Tennis format. Uh, so, obviously, natural appeal for me. And just to clarify for listeners, again, World Team Tennis, they do total games across five sets, two men's uh, women's doubles, two men's women's singles, or I guess one set each of those four flights, and a mixed doubles set comes down to total games. So, for you guys, it was four-all deuce point in the men's singles. As you mentioned, Feliciano Lopez takes that last point to secure the match for Orlando. Again, this is the opening season for Vegas, and I know you guys haven't played at home yet, but to have that be your first match experience, just what was that like for you as a first-year coach? Well, I was I was questioning whether it could get any better than that because, <laughs> you know, not only was it the way it finished, we were actually down four games going into the, the men's singles, and we had a you know one of our hometown heroes, Evan Song, playing, uh, you know, very first match for World Team Tennis. Um, he's ranked in the 300s in the world playing Feliciano Lopez, who won Queen like a couple of weeks ago. Um, so the, the odds were stacked against us as it is. And, and, you know, Evan went out there and actually was up 4-0 and had match point to beat him 5-0 for us to win. On, on Feliciano's throw, Feliciano ends up, I think, beating an ace. And then Evan held, which took us into extra time. And then we have to play a seven-point tiebreaker just in a match. And, and Feliciano goes up 6-2, and I'm sitting there going, you know what, oh, man, what an incredible match. What a performance by Evan, you know, and, and you're like, but, okay, it's not our day. Evan pulled it all the way back to 6 all, uh-huh. And now we, here we are. We've got sudden death point for the second time to uh, to win the match from a very, very improbable situation. So it was uh, it was a great introduction to what we've done. Uh, again, our listeners are going to get annoyed, but in our match, so we played for, uh, I'm sorry, the national championship for club tennis, and it's that same format, and we went into mixed, I think it was down three, we ended up taking that set 6-1, all of this is my way of, uh, you know, I say that to ask, you're an NCAA champion, you have played in the team format, and you understand the pressures that come with a team dual match, World Team Tennis, while it's one set at a time, it's that same environment. And I have to ask, when I wasn't playing, when I had to just watch, I was losing my mind on the sideline. How did you keep your composure? And just answer a fun question for me. Is it more difficult to play that final match or to watch that final match? Oh, I think everyone would agree it's much more difficult to watch. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. Yeah, because I mean, you've got no control. You know, I mean, at least if you're out there, you've got a, a sense of control of, of what's happening. But I will say this, you know, because it was Evan and he was so fired up and battling, um, to, to be honest with you, it, it actually wasn't that bad in that particular match because you figured that, you know, you, you were going to lose anyway, you know, because it was such an improbable situation. 
And he got so fired up and was so into it and playing just so well that uh, it was incredible for our team morale. And speaking of that fired up, again, team morale just fired up the way you watch one teammate play. It inspires everyone on the bench. That is such a rare thing to find in tennis, and I think this is a perfect place to transition for you. I mentioned all those accolades beforehand, but you have your No Quit Tennis Academy, You know, one of the high, most highly lauded academies in the country for junior development. Um, what was it about this opportunity to become the head coach of the Vegas Rollers? What was it about the WTT as an organization that appealed to you and ultimately led you to taking this opportunity to become the head coach? And, uh, you know, I met my wife there on the tennis team and had some kids and, and you know, had a, you know, have a house and, and uh, a life there and a wonderful business. And, you know, just to be able to represent Las Vegas um, in, in a tennis, you know, format, uh, I just couldn't think of anything better. So so when I got the call, I, I, I jumped immediately at it. And uh, I've been trying to work hard very, very since, uh, very, very hard since in order to bring some uh, attention to, to the team. Oh, and believe me, I, I want to talk a little bit about draft night because anytime a first-round pick is traded and we're talking tennis, I'm all in. And so I promise, hold that thought. But just for for our fans who are curious about world team tennis who maybe haven't experienced it or have, you know, they used to see the multicolored court on the TV and be like, oh, it's a world team tennis match, but now uh, are checking back in. What would be your pitch to them on why world team tennis is something they should check out this summer? I think it's very, very unique in, in a number of different ways. Um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, a mixed gender uh, team event. It may be the only team event, tennis event, uh, where men and women play at the same time. Um, you know, the format is very good. It's very fast. You know, you have, you have the sudden death points. You have some unique scoring, even with the tiebreakers. You know, they don't play, play traditional tiebreakers. Um, they play where you serve two until the end, and then the last person serves three if necessary. Um, and it's and it's as much about entertainment as it, if it's done right, it's as much about entertainment as it is the tennis itself. The tennis is just a part of the entertainment, but there's there's really a lot of things going on other than just tennis. And you talked about how uh, much you enjoyed the fact that you're going to get to represent Vegas in this league. How cool is it to you to see the world team tennis expand not only to Orlando but to Vegas? And what do you think that expansion means for the league? Well, I, I think it means that, uh, that the league's getting healthier. I mean, I don't, I don't know much of the background of world team tennis. I knew it always went on. You know, you see the, the advertising for it over the years. It was, it was very, very exciting. But uh, we've got a new dynamic. CEO now, Carlos, who um, I think is trying to, to try some different things and making it a little bit more, you know, dynamic. And um, I, I think it's been a success so far. I, I think it's a great move. I absolutely agree with you. Again, it's what part of the reason we at Cracked Rackets are having so much fun with this world team uh, tennis season this summer. For your team in particular, I, again, I keep coming back to this. You guys are a new team, but in doing my research for this podcast, you know, you weren't shy this offseason. You said our goal is to win a title, and I'm just curious, you know, in the preparation now that the season's undergone, but just what do you do as the coach of this team to help prepare them for this, you know, three-week stretch? You know, it's it's different at different times. Like we've got a day off today, so we, you know, I 
ask the team, you know, who would like to uh, to rest today and who would like to go practice. And half the team, you know, wanted to go and, and practice, and half them wanted to rest. And it's, it's just about keeping tabs of where everybody's energy level is. I think, you know, because we have been through a, t- a tough period on the road, so rest is a, is a big part of it. Um, you know, and when you're going back to back, you know, everything is is you know so close as far as the travel and, and the warm-ups and, and the duration between the warm-up and the match that, um, you know, sleep, sleep is, is, is very beneficial uh, in, in this format and, uh, you know, trying to practice when you can. And for you personally, again, you played your years at UNLV. Is it helpful at all to have that sort of college background? So, you know, you may not have played in the team format in a couple of years, but it, it helps you know, you know, how to massage, I guess, a team and get the best performance from everyone. My time at UNLV was, was some of my funnest time playing tennis. And part of that was, you know, just the fact that, that you could lose and, and the team could still win and, and just the camaraderie and... You know, I'm pretty feisty by nature, so I, I love getting into this. And if, if people come and watch, you know, I don't even know if I'm I'm allowed to do what I'm doing, but I'm jumping off off the bench, I'm fist pumping, I'm being loud. You know, we've got Red Boo who's totally getting in it. It's uh, it's been an absolute blast uh, so far. And until they tell me to shut up, I'll just uh, keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> well, you mentioned Red Foo. You know, we were talking beforehand. You affectionately referred to him as Foo. And I feel like you can only do that if you've gotten to know him a little bit. So I just I have to ask, what's that energy like on the bench? That has to be fun. Yeah, he's, he's just amazing, mate. And he, he's, he, the energy's off the charts. He's, he's an entertainer. And he's, he's really, really cool. So you know some of the chants and some of the things that that uh, we do during during the team uh, format is, is coming straight from through. So he's uh, he's an incredible uh, human being, and it's it's such a pleasure. He's a fanatic, tennis fanatic, mate. Holy oh, man, <laughs> that guy could hit all day, every day. And just before this podcast, that's me and Fu were playing uh, two of our players in mini tennis and uh, having an absolute riot. I mean, he's, uh, you know, we've seen him around the tennis world before. He strikes me, he could, I feel like he's got some nasty slices. You know, I think he had a uh, tennis background from when he was young. You know, I think he played some tennis and transitioned over to the music uh, later on, you know, in his, in his teen years, and he's done all right with that. Uh, no, good move. But he actually is a, a very good tennis player. He's a very high-level tennis player, and he loves to hit, loves to play, and loves to compete. And one of the reasons, you know, as cool as Red Foo is, the, one of the reasons that I want to bring that up is you talk about those chants, those cheers. When you think about, you know, the traditional tennis event, the, uh, the stereotype is it's stuffy. You know, you have to be polite, only clap in between points. Can you explain to our listeners why World Team Tennis is the opposite of that? Why you think they would have so much fun if they attended a match near them? Yeah, I, I, you're dead on with that. I think it's far more similar to fair football or basketball in, in that respect. In that basically, you know, you've still got to be relatively quiet when the point's going on, but they're not as strict as, as say, at uh, Grand Slam. But when the point's not going on, it's an absolute ride. You scream at the top of your lungs. You know, you can uh, totally get into it, which probably isn't uh, permitted, you know, in, in, in a more formal uh, tennis format. I would imagine at Wimbledon, if you started dancing on the sidelines, you may get the quick boot. You know, the hook may come out. They're dragging you off. Uh, so 
Yeah, I, I could agree with you there. But, I, you know, I want to talk about your team this year. Again, the Vegas Rollers in their first season. And you look at your guys' roster. Um, a ton of talent accumulated along the way. But the story I want to talk with, and uh, just to read a quote that you gave, you said you were very happy with the team you drafted. It was a lot more fun than you thought it was going to be. You said you had no idea what you were getting in, yourself into. And with that in mind, you also mentioned the pretty big gamble you took trading your first round pick to obtain the Bryan brothers now again free agency trades drafts not something you you associate with tennis often but I'm all in on this concept so coach can you take me to draft night and just run me through what you were feeling in those moments yeah that was a strange Vegas move right there <laughs> that people, people expect that from me but yeah we had a we had a chance uh to get the Bryan brothers but uh Mark Iron from uh from New York he wanted my first round pick, and, and so it was a little bit of a gamble because a lot of other teams that, that had been in the league they had protected players that we, we couldn't get. So basically, that played well for their own teams, and uh, those teams that couldn't. Now in, in Vegas, being a, a new team, we couldn't have any protected players. So you know the, the first round pick was actually pretty valuable. But when it comes to having the greatest doubles team of all time. Uh, on your team, I, I at the end of the day, I didn't think that was a, a tough decision to make. See, they say in the NBA, big guys who become GMs, they end up hiring big guys, or you know, they sign big guys more often. Doubles players, when they become coaches and GMs, obviously that affection for doubles players holds true. But I mean, you look at your roster composition, and again, it's tough to balance. You know, when you you don't know when you're always going to have these players because they do have the ATP WTA tours to turn to. But you look, you've got you know Bob and Mike, Harriet Dart, Jennifer Brady, Monica Puig, uh, obviously Riley Opelka, Sam Query, Matt Reed. Uh, how are you feeling about your roster again heading into this 2019 season? No, I'm, I'm feeling great, and it's, as you say, it's a, it's a little unpredictable. So. Sometimes we're going to be be stronger, and sometimes not as strong. And but the other teams are the same too. So I think a lot of the times is uh, you know if you can get an upset against one of the strong teams um, w- without your best roster, uh, I think that's going to be very very important as far as how the your standings go. When Riley's beating Stan Wawrinka and Query's making that, I think it was quarterfinal run. Are you just sitting there licking your chops? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I was, you know, once once you know who's on your team, get the phone with all those guys. And, and Riley played the last three nights for us. And I tell you what, a seven-footer, I never thought I'd see a seven-footer serving a tennis ball. But seeing, seeing his serve, it, it's something to behold. It, it's like nothing I've ever seen. And I swear to God, and again, you have seen way more tennis than I have. You're 6'6". Yeah, you know, you've forgotten more tennis than I'll ever know, but... It feels like that serve could even get better too. That's the crazy part, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, but you know, there was a, there was a, a time a couple of nights ago I was down love forty, and I think sort of three out of four aces from the guys. <laughs> I mean, they didn't even see it. It was yeah. it was so impressive, and it's funny how you know with the format and, and getting to know the players like you were talking about, it just felt like when he's in a serving rhythm, because you're allowed to call timeouts. Uh, of course. Yes. So, you know, a lot of times when the, when the players get into trouble, I call a timeout just to make sure, you know, that we're, we're committed to the decision-making process at, at those junctures. And, but when he was kind of getting into a role, I really didn't want to bother him. <laughs> Whereas normally I would have called a timeout, I just let it go, and sure enough, he uh, executed every time. 
No, I mean, that's Riley Opelka tennis. Uh, but you, you look at, you know, talking about that team composition, and again, you play men's and, and women's doubles, uh, men's and women's singles, mixed doubles. For you as a coach, I imagine you see, I mean, I know you and Asia Muhammad have a relationship that, you know, far predates this Vegas Rollers uh, team up. But for the rest of this team, you know, a lot of these players, you may not have seen them. And I know a lot of them maybe haven't played together, maybe no doubles or mixed doubles. Um, how do you as a coach, you know, kind of in your practices kind of figure out who should be playing with who, who, you know, who plays when and where? And then, you know, just for our listeners, how fun do those practices get? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it depends a lot on, on the coaching and, and the dynamics of the team. I've got a pretty young team, and they're, they're all... I mean, the team chemistry is off the charts. I mean, I could not be happier uh, with the team chemistry. You know, there's no divas. They're, they're all hard workers. They're all very professional. You know, food actually brings a lot to the table there as well. So from, from a, a chemistry standpoint, uh, you know, we're... We're at an A plus. Um, as far as as the roster is concerned, I mean, you know, we've got some double specialists and we've got some singles players, and so we, we do know have an idea of, of who's going to be playing with who. But in, like in the case with Evan, um, he played the the first night, and, and I think it was one of the best matches of his life. And then the next night, he ends up sitting on the bench because we've got Riley Apelka coming in. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not always simple, but to, to see who's in form and who's not in form, but uh, that that'll play another part of it as well. Because you know what they're doing in practice, how they're feeling about their tennis, I think um, has a lot to do with the success of of the team format, opposed to really who should be playing on paper and who shouldn't. Yeah, absolutely, and that's I got I, I have to imagine that's half the fun of being coaches, trying to figure those sort of things out. For your team, you mentioned you guys start off on the East Coast. I know when you get home, you'll play your first match at Orleans Arena. Uh, obviously, it will be the first World Team Tennis match ever in Vegas. How excited for you are, are are for you to get back in front of that home Vegas crowd, get in that environment, and just see you know how Vegas responds to World Team Tennis? Yeah, mate. I, I've I've been involved in the preparation, so I, I kind of know what, what what's coming down the pike, so to speak. But I'm really excited for our team to see um, you know everything that's been done in, in order for them you know to play great tennis and play in the Orleans Arena which is I think one of the best facilities in world team tennis um, I think that's that's going to be the best part and then of course playing in the home in front of a home crowd is is very, very uh, beneficial as far as, as the team's concerned it's been, it's been a little tricky going to well not tricky for me actually I, I love getting uh, the crowd's face to be honest with you but you know the the crowd plays a big role in, in the energy and the success of a team. So having that uh, as a as an advantage rather than disadvantage, I think is going to be great. Yeah, I, I can only imagine with that. You know, I had the experience to go to Vegas for the first two times in my life this year for bachelor parties. And no, that's not going to be the same as a world team tennis environment. But it's Las Vegas. I'm sure you guys will figure out a way to make it fun. Yeah, and so I'm looking forward to seeing that. You know, hopefully CBS Sports covers the flattering angle of that. Um, but for your team, again, getting back, you mentioned having Evan, Matt, Reed, Riley uh, substitute. It, it felt like uh, Harriet and Asia did a lot of the heavy lifting this weekend. I know uh, just, you know, with your team back and forth. I, I think Jennifer, though, she she played against Orlando as well. So, again, it's just about getting your roster in together. But for your team, you know, are there any flights in particular you, you feel like you guys are, sh- you know, strongest at? Is there any flights you need to shore up moving forward? Just what? give me the layout of the uh, 2019 rollers 
Well, depending on who we got, obviously when we got the Bryan brothers, our doubles and mixes look pretty good. Um, <laughs> but in general, you know, with with our core team, um, I think uh, you know our girls, as you said, are, are looking pretty strong. You know, we've got two girls that can play doubles and singles, which is a little unique. Usually, you know, they're either singles players or, or doubles players, and, and we've got two girls that can play either. So, um, but even then, you know, the chemistry is still got to be there on the doubles court. But I think I think the girls are uh, are looking strong. Um, Evan, Matt, you know, Matt's a, a world class doubles player. So, um, hopefully, we can fine tune his game. And, and, and you know, there's a lot of good doubles players in this league. So, um, it's a, it's a it's a different. It seems like there's a lot of good uh, male doubles players as well. So that's that's a, a, a tricky spot, I think, to beat the doubles specialist. And then Ev. You know, it's his first year playing world team tennis. He's, he's a rising star. Um, but uh, I tell you what, he, he's played the best match. He's been the MVP so far. And this may be a really stupid thing, but in terms of picking the orders of set, uh, you know, which goes first, which goes last, does there is there a lot of thinking that goes into that? I feel like unless you go through that, that you'll be like, oh, they're playing men's singles first, whatever. But that's a you guys are making a conscious effort there, right? That's part of the strategy. Absolutely, and that's been the disadvantage of being on the road. Is, is the home team gets to pick. Mm. So so what you, you, you'll you notice is, um, you know, the home team gets to pick whether they want to serve return or the or what end they want to play in number, in the first set, the third set, and the fifth set. And then the away team goes uh, the, the second and the fourth. So you're going to target mainly, you know, serving first as for the men is, is a huge advantage. So usually you're going to put your your, your men in those in those positions, um, and also in world team tennis, the the whoever's winning cannot win the match until they win the last game. So if you have a situation where you feel like you've got uh, a big advantage, that can uh, you know be, be a good good put them in the fifth position, because if you are behind and you've got to play catch up, um, that's the best place to do it. I, I completely agree with you. Again, strategizing really is half of the fun. And I am curious, you know, you have seen all forms of tennis from junior to college to the slams. What do you think about this, you know, tiebreakers at four all, no ad, team format? What do you think it adds to the game? Is there anything you think it detracts from it? I'm just curious what do you think of this definitely different style of tennis? Oh, I think it's amazing, mate. I, th- I think team tennis just in, in general is amazing. You know, with uh, having the men and the women all on the one team uh, has been has been fantastic. And I've been surprised at how serious these guys take it. I mean, they they take it very very seriously, and it has the energy of a, of of college tennis, which is uh, I, I thought was some of the most exciting tennis I ever played. I completely agree with you. We here at Cracked Rackets, huge fans of college tennis. There's something about the team environment, right? It's just, it's so antithetical to what we're used to talking about with tennis. And obviously with this past Wimbledon final, Halep defeating Serena in the way she did, that's always fascinating. 13-12 in a fifth set for Djokovic, Federer, those storylines write themselves. But there really is something to seeing players embrace this sort of team format, the, whether it's the you know the high fives or the chanting on the bench to the outward cheers, that that's the biggest thing about world team tennis, right? It really is just emphasizing that team aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you've got to understand that, that these guys, that these tennis professionals' lives is, is pretty lonely, and it's, it's very one on one. 
and uh, there's, there's no team in it whatsoever other than when you play Davis Cup and Fed Cup. And now all of a sudden you come into a situation where, first of all, you're playing and you've got this all this support from your coach and, and your teammates, which is, you know, uh, a little unusual for the most of them. Um, and then you've got the situation where you can lose and still win, which uh, takes, I think, a lot of the pressure off and makes it a lot more enjoyable for the players. No, absolutely, and I would say to fans, that's half the fun of going, is to see these players in that environment, you notice a difference in their body language and, you know, just how they comport themselves on the court, but I know you and Asia Mohammed, as I mentioned, have had a relationship for a long time as player-coach off the court, uh, both off the court and just outside of world team tennis, but how fun is it to get to work with her in this environment and just see that different element of it? Well, yeah, that was part of my motivation for signing up to, uh, to coach, actually. You know, I've known Asia since she's 11, so now we're we're, we're talking 17 years. Um, yeah. You know, she's she's been like a daughter to me. So um, I knew that she was in the draft. I knew that she was, you know, going to play for Vegas. So the fact that we could do that together um, was very very special, and it was definitely something that I wanted to be a part of. Yeah, it's again, it's the little things like that that make those sort of relationships continue to be cultivated. At World Team Tennis. It really is why it's such a special format. Um, I, again, I, I want to talk a little bit, little bit about you as well and your background in tennis. But just uh, to end things here for the for uh, the rollers, I, I, again, I said in the press conference, you weren't shy. Uh, you want to win a title this year, and obviously that's what you play for in world team tennis. Now, one in three, not the best start, but definitely something, you know, it's very early in the season. What's it going to take from uh, your rollers to get the job done, qualify the, for the playoffs, and put themselves in contention? You know, having having seen a couple of matches now, it, it's important that that you keep your level, you know, high at all times. I mean, any 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 bad performance can kind of end your night pretty quickly. Um, just you know, in one set, if you if you dig yourself uh, too much of a hole. So, and then and then with that, it's of course um, making sure we're physically um, feeling pretty good because that's kind of what happened to us in New York. We we played a couple of intense matches. We we travelled a lot. And then uh, we just got flat, and uh, we got flat, and then we got flattened, which uh, and that wasn't fun. So, and I could tell that the uh, I didn't enjoy it because we we I got spoiled the first two nights where our our team competed like gladiators, and then we went and and we were flat and um, you know didn't didn't compete to the level that that uh, we had the other night. So, but we talked about that, and unfortunately they felt what I felt, and. Uh, came back against Philadelphia and, and, and competed really, really well. So um, those, those are probably the, the, the two components. I mean, the players that are coming in for a short amount of time aren't really going to have to deal with that. You know, they're going to come in, play two or three matches, and, and then they're going to be gone. So uh, you'd expect them to play at a very, very high level. But those that are playing every match, I mean, we're, we're talking about 14 matches in 17 days. So, um, you know, getting sleep and... Uh, and being energized and competing hard on a, on a daily basis is, is going to get us to where we want to be. Yeah, that is a head coach's answer and a perfect way to transition into um, our conversation about you. Now, as we've mentioned, you are UNLV doubles champion, All-American there, but I also mentioned that component of you uh, work running the No Quit Tennis Academy. Um, and as someone just 
you know, who, who's worked to develop. I think it's five players who have reached number one in the country, maybe seven. And just the fact that that number, I'm screwing it up, is a testament to your sort of success. Uh, what I want to ask, though, even more specifically, a lot of times when we talk to our guests, uh, a lot of them have played college tennis, and you being in the world team tennis format now, team tennis, something you're obviously very fond of. For a lot of your junior players, even those without pro aspirations, but for the ones who do as well, would you recommend college tennis as a pathway for anyone who has you know further tennis aspirations? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, college tennis is has uh, changed a lot. Actually, professional tennis has changed a lot in in the sense that players uh, are making it much later later on. Like when I was growing up, especially for the girls, if you hadn't made it by the time you were a teenager, you, you know you weren't going to make it. And now I don't know if the stats have changed, but as, as of like a year ago, the average age of a top hundred player for uh, a woman was, uh, it was like twenty seven years old, and for men it was like twenty eight or the other way around. So. Um, it's almost can you stay uh, in the game long enough now, you know, in order to, to hit that sweet spot. So, um, you know, college, if, you, if you're in a good college team, quality coaching and quality players, it enables you to keep developing and uh, getting tough, uh, tough, tough competition. And, and so when you're, you're starting your pro career, you can start that more at like 22 or 23 rather than 18 which is, isn't as far away from that 27-28-year-old uh, sweet spot as it is, you know, at 18 years old. So, And even the, the colleges themselves, I mean, they're understanding that. And, uh, you know, I know during at certain programs, uh, a lot more now, they're actually sending their players out to play professional tournaments during the summer. And they kind of have a pro track for those, those kids that do want to do more with their tennis other than just going, going to college. Yeah, and uh, you know, I know for you personally, you played a little bit of pros after you were done. I know you and Luke Smith, your doubles partner, got the chance to play in the U.S. Open. I also see a very interesting 1998 doubles challenger result where you and Zvik, uh, Zivkovic, I sorry if I butchered that, lost to Andre Agassi and Brad Gilbert seven six seven six, which sounds like fun to me. I'm all in on that match. Um, but you know. Even more so, you've developed in, uh, this relationship with the game of tennis where it's clear it's been a big part of your life. Uh, just what about the game kept you know kept you call, coming back to it? What is it about the game that, that you've stuck with it for this long? I think that it mirrors life, to be honest, for, to be honest with you. It's a metaphor for life. So, you know, the same thing that it takes to be successful on the tennis court, you're going to find is, is the same thing that it takes to be successful in life. And, uh, you know, having done the same thing for, for 40 years, it was just about, you know, a game. Uh, I think I would have been out of it a long time ago. But, but the fact that you can help people, help young uh, boys and girls, men and women, um, understand life a little bit better using tennis as the vehicle is really what gets me out of it in the morning. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And I guess uh, with that in mind there's one last thing I want you know that was a serious answer but there's one more thing I want to do with you uh, something we'd like to do with all of our guests have a little bit of fun before they go I want to run you through a rapid fire series of questions now eventually some of these questions I'm sure will be a little bit longer than just a rapid fire answer does that sound good to you awesome Westoff if you could give me a rapid fire sound effect please 
Okay, so getting back to these results I've seen in your ITF uh, profile, I, I think I see six tournaments here. Yeah, six tournaments. And across those six, you played the duos of Agassiz and Gilbert and Roddick and Fish. Now, the chances of that happening seem astronomical, but my first rapid-fire question to you, the tougher doubles team. Roddick and Fish. Really? By far. <laughs> what was it about him? What's that? What was it about him? Um, you know, Andre and, and Brad Brad uh, was just coaching Andre at the time, and, and I think they did that to bring uh, attention to the, the tournament. Uh, and, you know, Andre is, is one of the greatest players of all time, but not uh, a household name in doubles, per se. So uh, we lost that one from intimidation alone. Um, <laughs> but, but Roddick and Fish, I mean, they, this is when they were just, I think they were 18, 19 years old, and they, they were just coming out, uh, you know, best juniors, in, in the country and, uh, and and they had actually done Andy was just starting to do well on the pro tour so um, they they were very tough in doubles actually oh, I can only imagine well sticking with the doubles theme I'm going to give you three names you name the best partner of the group uh, Norton Norton Pedersen or Smith that, that is actually tougher than uh, I expected I'm <laughs> going to have to say Luke I mean <laughs> they were all good but uh, Roger, I, I still play with to this day because he, he lives in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. So he, he probably, I'm going to probably get some flack for that. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm only going to say because, you know, we grew up learning doubles in Australia. And so jumping, even though we didn't play a lot of doubles together until our senior year, you know, when we jumped on the doubles court together, it was like it was like being twins. It was like being Bob and, uh, Bob and Mike Bryant because, you know, we always knew where the other person was going to be, and we kind of always knew where, you know, what type of shot they were going to hit to the situation we found ourselves in. So um, that made life uh, very easy. Am I wrong when I say being in a doubles relationship is like any relationship in, in life, right? It's, you know, no different than having a girlfriend or a boyfriend. You, uh, you fight, you touch each other a lot with high fives and stuff. You learn each other's habits, what works best. It really is a relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it can go sour. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. Tell, just like a normal relationship. Oh, uh, totally. Well, you know, again, I mentioned a big fan of college tennis. You got to be a uh, part of Luke Smith's run to the the double, uh, you know, both singles and doubles title. And just given how rare that is, how special was it to be a part of that run? You know, it it, it really was. I, uh, I it was weird. I hadn't really thought about going professional, um, you know, after college. But I, know, I knew that he had, and but it's tough. It's just tricky because it, it costs a lot of money to go pro. You know, I mean, you've really got to have some financial backing in, in order to hang in there. And you know, when we won this double A, it kind of springboarded him into a situation where he was able to get get that assistance. And I knew that he, even though it didn't work out for him, I knew that he really wanted to do that. And I think he got uh, got mono and some injuries and that kind of ended things for him. But he was an absolutely tremendous player. And uh, to be able to be part of, of springboarding him to where he wanted to be, that was uh, very special for me. I can't, again, those are the sort of moments that you live for, those sort of double title moments. And, I, I mean, I can only imagine, you, you talked about earlier, 14 matches and 17 nights for your world team tennis crew. Between the team tournament and playing singles and doubles, you're getting right close to that during an NCAA run. Yeah, that that was actually a, a, the difficult part of of that NCAA run is, is Luke was playing every day singles, 
Um, and then we had a doubles match on top of it, and he was really starting to get gassed by the end. So just as, as we're playing the toughest teams, he was uh, really getting exhausted, and, and I kind of had a decision to make either adapt or, or we're going we're going home. At least in doubles, I mean, he was he was going to keep going in singles. So, I mean, it, it put me actually mentally in a good place because, you know, whereas I think to get to the end of those tournaments and it's like, okay, you start thinking about it and getting worried about it and, and maybe filling yourself up with anxiety. For me, it was like, dude, you either play big and, and play aggressive, otherwise you guys are going home. Because really, you know, he wasn't at 100%. So um, it allowed me to, to get some of my best tennis ever on the tennis course, which was fun. With and that taught me a lot about the mental mental side of things. Well, in that spirit, do real doubles players serve in volley? Absolutely. That was the correct answer to that question. <laughs> yeah, and what about the old adage, if you're not getting passed down the line, you're not doing it right? Also true. 100%. Yeah, see, you're not, you're not being busy enough. <laughs> yeah, look, I completely agree. I got to ask, 6-6, six, six, the worst you've ever been pegged? The worst I've ever been pegged by myself. Actually, <laughs> I went. I hit a I hit a volley. I was about thirteen years old, and I hit a volley, and it went straight into my nose. <laughs> it didn't break my nose, but it had to be pretty close. It was blood, it was a lot of blood, and I, I mean, my eyes were watering for you know ten minutes. Oh, I love it. That's funny to hear. All right, well then, again, sticking with this theme of your coaching experience, what is the most cliched coaching bit of advice that you like the least? The most cliched, oh, I don't know about that. There's a lot of those out there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, oh, my God. No spin, no win, no win. I could go on and on. <laughs> you probably know those better than me. I only do it with stuff to work. <laughs> yeah, a lot, you get a lot of bad coaching over the years. Yeah, no, I, I put that out of my mind. I, you know, if I hear garbage, it, it doesn't even register in my brain. Uh, that's fair. All right, well, I'll let you sit on this. How about this? The most reliable piece of coaching advice? The most reliable? I mean, there's, there's, you know, down the middle solves the riddle. How do you like that one? <laughs> oh, my God. My coach used to say there's three things you never do. You never spin into the wind. You never tug on Superman's cape. And you never, ever lob somewhere. It's like lob down the line or whatever it is. Always take the lob cross. Oh, that's hilarious. So I totally disagree with him. <laughs> Like, you get a lot of them. Oh, but, yeah, no, I, I mean, I like it. Down the middle solves the riddle. That's a, a staple. Yeah, no, uh, work in the middle in, in low in doubles is, you know, if the, if the net players are doing their job and, and keeping the ball low and they're not really, it, 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 they're not really giving you much to work with. So, you know, down the middle, of course, confusion, uh, the low part of the net, it's, it's really a safe, safe place to go. So. No, I like no, it, it works for me. Well, then let's jump around a little bit, learn a little bit more about you. Favorite city in the world, outside of Vegas? Can't say Vegas. Stockholm, Sweden. Oh, good choice. I'm in on that one. Favorite meal? Oh, that's a good one. Um, favorite meal? I've got a lot of them. I love to eat, but I'm going to go... <laughs> Six eggs and can afford to. Favorite meal? Um, Thai food, I'd say. Ooh. My go-to. Great choice. Heavily underrated. A pod say you. I know it's very generic, but I could go for that anytime. Um, all right, we'll move around. Do you have a pregame song you listen to get into the zone? Uh, 
it's funny you say that because I, I used to have the wrong playlist for a lot of times. <laughs> because depending on your personality, uh, there's good and bad playlists. So literally, I, I wake up ready to compete, which is, is it's it's a strength and it's a weakness. But I used to listen to heavy rock music and really get myself <laughs> fired up. And I would get to you know the, the court ready for a, for a fight, not ready for a tennis match. And it wasn't until later on in life that I realized, you know what, for my personality, I need to be very, very calm. So I need to listen to Enya or something very, very soothing before a tennis match where, you know, my playlist, if, if you're kind of like California cool and, uh, you, need, you know, you need a light under your butt in order to play uh, <laughs> tennis, my playlist was probably a good one. No, I can only imagine. I imagine nowadays when you guys are in the van, everyone just goes, here, Red Foo, you pick the songs. Yeah, we're not messing with that. We're not. <laughs> <laughs> He's the man when it comes to the music stuff. Yeah, exactly. No, that makes a lot of sense. Well, then, uh, just a couple more for you. Again, I'm going to throw... If you could go back and play college, would you prefer the format you played in or today's no-ad style? Oh, by far our format. Really? Yeah, no, I don't like the style today at all. You know, they're playing, uh, I think, one set of doubles, five-breaker mm-hmm. at 5-all. Uh, Six-all, six-all. Was it six all? Still a six all breaker, but no ad. You know the the guys are serving so big mm-hmm. that you know one break and you're done. You don't even have a, a time to wake up or, or breathe or anything. Um, the eight the eight game pro set was great because you could still come back if, if you got broken, and I like that. Um, and then we played best of three set singles. I would have preferred the singles that they do today as a big guy mm-hmm. because a lot of guys wore me down. Um, you know, with a three-set format, where if I, if I split sets and just had a five tempo and tiebreaker, that would have been perfect for me. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I can only imagine. Um, all right, we'll stick with it. Team, do you prefer the team format or the individual format? Oh, team by far. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Favorite tennis player of all time? Well, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. I'm going to have to go with Fed. But Ooh. my hero growing up was Bjorn Borg, and I was very much modeled on, uh, on his tennis game. Is that what Stockholm, Sweden's all about? No, my wife's from Stockholm, Sweden. Uh, of course, man. <laughs> now, now I'm starting to get it. Interesting, though, pick with Borg. Uh, any thoughts on the Djokovic-Federer match you want to share? I feel like it was, a, you know, for a Fed fan. Uh, absolutely mind-boggling. Um, you know, you've got... what, what the, part, the part that was tough for my, my brain to comprehend was... Fed serving 40-15. Um, his serving stats, as far as the number of times that he wins service games, is in the 90 percentile. And then the stats on Fed being up 40-15 and losing a service game has to be completely minuscule. Yeah. And he somehow lost that match. I mean, kudos to, to, to Novak. I mean, you know, being able to keep himself calm and, and disciplined and focused under those conditions... Uh, was absolutely phenomenal, but um, yeah, I just couldn't get over that. Do you? This is a stupid thing, but as a coach, the, when Djokovic hits that return forty fifteen deep in the center at Roger's feet, when Roger misses that forehand, is that an unforced error from Roger? Or is that just a damn good return from Novak? Now that was, you know what? I, what was interesting is I I went back and looked at. I didn't get to see the match points live. Mm-hmm. We were actually warming up in Orlando. Um, but when I, I did want to see it, and uh, he actually played two decent points. That's what so I was I, saying. I, I don't think there's any regret there as far as how he played the point. Um, even, even I mean, he didn't hit a great approach shot on the second match point, but uh, you know he did go into Novak's forehand. 
which is, was, was a smart move because of the of the two, you're not going to go into Novak's back and give him a target. I mean, then then that was probably going to be a bad play in that situation. But going into Novak's forehand, good play, hit an unbelievable shot. Um, yeah, they 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 weren't bad points at all. So that was the interesting part. I completely agree with you. Well, then, last question to you, and it's not a rapid fire, but as the coach of, uh, or actually, we'll do it two quick, quick two parter. First one to you: one adjective to describe what opening night in Vegas is going to be like for your team. Epic. Oh, I love it. I was thinking electric. I just, I can only imagine what it's going to be like. And then my last one to you, and again, it's a long form answer. To the fans out there uh, who, again, haven't seen a WTT match but have a team near them or have the ability to watch it on TV, just can you give them one final pitch on why they should tune into the 2019 season? Because I think it's the most exciting uh, format of tennis. I think, uh, as I said, the it, it's entertainment. You know, it, it, even whether you're a tennis fan or tennis fanatic or not, um, there's going to be something in there that's going to be entertaining for you. So I, I'm a big believer in the format. I'm a big believer in what we're doing, and I, and I love the entertainment portion of it. Um, and that the, the tennis is just a piece of the entertainment and not the the complete thing. Absolutely, and again, that is why we at Cracked Rackets are so looking forward to this season and covering all that it'll entail. Uh, Coach Blink Iron, thank you so much, and I told you uh, beforehand this is what we we're going to do. So, what do we again? I want to thank you. Wish your team luck, and what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. I love it, and we will uh, see you all tomorrow. Thank you so much, Coach. 